Hi team, this week we are focusing on part B of chapter 2 in our book, The Power of Moments, Why Certain Experiences Have Extraordinary Impacts. Our book was written by Chip Heath and Dan Heath. Chapter 2 describes thinking moments. To think in moments is to be attuned to transitions and milestones, as well as to a third type of experiences, pits. Pits are the opposite of peaks. They are negative, defining moments, moments of hardship or pain or anxiety. Pits need to be filled. Most of the time, this is simply common sense. Disney knows, for example, that people hate long lines, so Disney invests in ways to fill that pit by creating interesting displays as a distraction and having performers interact with guests and setting expectations about wait time. And in our personal lives, it's similarly obvious. You need not study a book on defining moments to understand that if your partner is suffering, you attend to them. Yet, as we've seen, common sense can have a limited range. Graduations are common sense. First day to work experiences are not. 40th birthday parties are common sense. 1000th day in school parties are not. And the same is true with pits. As a small example, take someone who leases a car and dies during the lease term. No doubt your common sense says that the deceased's family could simply return the car and discontinue the lease. Wrong. Rather than recognize an opportunity to perform a simple act of kindness in a difficult time, most car finance companies say, pay up. Mercedes-Benz Financial Services, rare among its competitors, sends a condolence letter to the leasee's family with an offer to forgive the lease obligation. Or consider patients who have just learned that they have cancer. Doctors and nurses know to be compassionate and supportive in those fraught moments. But comfort only goes so far. What about quick action? In many cases, patients must wait several weeks or more to begin seeing the chain of specialists who will treat them. Not at Intermountain Healthcare. As reported by Leonard Barry and two colleagues, the patient and his or her family are invited to a meeting within a week of cancer diagnosis. They stay put in one room and the members of their caregiving team circulate in and out. Surgeons, oncologists, dietitians, social workers, and nurses. The patient walk out at the end of the day with a comprehensive plan of care and a set of scheduled appointments. This is not to minimize the importance of giving comfort to a patient. Of course, that is vital. It is simply to say that giving comfort is commonsensical. 
but scheduling a rapid all-hands meeting to formulate a plan of attack, that's not common sense. That's conscious effort to fill a pit. What's least commonsensical is that pits can sometimes be flipped into peaks. A study of service encounters asks customers to recall recent satisfying and dissatisfying interactions with employees of airlines, hotels, or restaurants. Almost 25% of the positive encounters cited by customers were actually employees' responses to service failures, slow service, mistaken orders, lost reservations, delayed flights, and so on. When employees handled these situations well, they transformed a negative moment into a positive one. Every great service company is a master of service recovery. An executive of a company that builds custom homes shared with us an insight from his customer satisfaction data. To maximize customer satisfaction, he said, you don't want to be perfect. You want to get two things wrong, have the customer bring those mistakes to your attention, and then hustle like mad to fix those problems. Thankfully, he hadn't instructed his team to start making mistakes on purpose, but we could tell he was tempted. Business leaders who can spot their customers' moments of dissatisfaction and vulnerability and take decisive action to support those customers will have trouble differentiating themselves from competitors. Offering to help someone in a difficult time is its own goal and reward. It's also, it also has the side effect of being good for business. Take the story of Doug Dykes, an, er, an industrial designer from General Electric. He spent two years working on a new MRI machine, and in the fall of 2007, he had his first chance to see the machine installed in a hospital. He said he felt like a proud papa going to see his baby. When he entered the MRI suite, he saw the new diagnostic machine and did a happy dance, he said in 2012 in a TED Talk. Dites re retreated to the hall to watch the first patient go through. While he waited, he saw a couple and their young daughter coming down the hallway. The girl was crying. As they got closer to the room, the father leaned down to the girl and said, we've talked about this. You can be brave. As soon as the little girl entered the room, she froze, terrified. And in that moment, Dites could see the way the room looked through her eyes. On the wall was a giant warning sign with a magnet stuck and an, and an exclamation point. On the floor, there was yellow and black tape that looked like it belonged at a crime scene. The room was oddly dim, with flickering fluorescent lights, and all the colors were shades of antiseptic beige. The atmosphere was sterile, boarding on menacing. And the machine itself that I designed basically looked like a brick with a hole in it, Dite said. 
he knew too that the experience would only get worse that the girl would be fed into a claustrophobic bore of the MRI and she'd have to lie there motionless for 30 minutes trying to ignore the machine's loud alien hums and clangs. Dites saw the parents exchange an, ex- an anguished look. They didn't know how they were going to get their daughter through the next hour. He was crushed. In an instant, his pride had turned into horror. It just broke my heart, he said. What he realized was that he and his designer colleagues had been focused on the machine. How do we make it faster, sleeker, and more powerful? Patients, however, focus on the experience. And when they feared the MRI machine, they were real health there were real health consequences. 80% of children undergoing MRIs had to be sedated in order to get through the experience. And every sedation carries risks. After his epiphany in the MRI suite, Deitz reframed his mission as a designer. He wondered what he could design as an experience that was actually fun. He convened a team to help him rethink the experience. Leaders of children's museums, design thinking experts from Stanford, teachers at daycare centers, healthcare staffers who work with children, and others. The conversations helped him realize the power of a child's imagination to transform a situation. What is three kitchen chairs and a blanket, he asked. To a child, it's a castle, it's a spaceship, or it's a truck. What if the MRI machine weren't an MRI machine, but a spaceship or a submarine? Dyke's team reimagined the scanner as part of a larger story. One of the first rooms they designed for the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center was known as the Jungle Adventure. In the hallway leading to the room, the team placed stickers on the floor that looked like rocks. The kids would instinctively hop from one rock to the next. All the walls inside the room were painted in rich, colorful jungle scenes. And the rocks from the hallway led to a painted koi pond stocked with fish which surrounded the machine. The MRI table lowered so that the children could climb on top. It had been redesigned to look like a hollowed out canoe and the kids were urged to hold still so they wouldn't tip the canoe as it floated through the jungle. The kids readily embraced the challenge of not rocking the canoe. In his talk, Deitz mimed, uh, mimed a kid with his arms straight down at his side with only his eyes moving. These kids are like statues. They are frozen, he said. Another theme was Pirate Island, where the kids got to walk the plank to reach the machine, which was painted to look like a pirate ship. On the wall, a monkey with a pirate's bandana 
glided through the air on a rope swing. The supply cabinets were disguised as tiki huts. Dites and his colleagues stayed focused on the kids. Anxiety points, such as the loud noises made the machines, or made by the machines. In a San Francisco hospital, they created a cable car adventure room. When kids would come in, they'd get a ticket for the car. One day, he watched a hospital employee talk with a little boy. Bobby, have you been in the cable car in the city? You remember how it was kind of noisy. So was ours. One day in the pirate room, Dites was talking with the mother of a girl who just had a scan. As they talked, the little girl kept tugging on her mom's shirt. Finally, the mother said, what is it, honey? The little girl asked, can we come back tomorrow? Dites began to weep. He had transformed terror into delight. GE's adventure series, led by Dites, have since been installed in dozens of children's hospitals, and the results have been dramatic. Children's Hospital Hospital of Pittsburgh, one of the early adopters of the design, found that the number of kids needing sedation dropped from 80% to 27%. For the shorter CT scan, only 3% of children needed sedation. The kids' key moment of anxiety lying down on a sterile table that feeds into a threatening looking machine has been eliminated. The kids, Dyke said, are excited to get to the adventure versus holding on to mom's leg. Before, to get them up on the table, it took about 10 minutes. Now the scan took four minutes. Sorry. Before, to get them up on the table took about 10 minutes, and the scan itself took four minutes. Now, they get on the table in one minute, and the scan only takes four. Because of the kids' comfort, the extra expense of the friendly designs is unimportant. Since the scans go faster, the hospitals can complete more in a day. Deitz's triumph is a story of smart, empathetic design, but it's also a story of thinking in moments. He realized that it wasn't the machine that needed more attention. It was the experience. For patients, a moment of agony was transformed into a moment of elevation. Deitz flipped it from a peak or from a pit into a peak. Transitions should be marked, milestones commemorated, and pits filled. That's the essence of thinking and moments. To be clear, not all defining moments fit into these three categories. Many defining moments could happen anytime. The Popsicle Hotline, for instance, is a source of on-demand delight. Similarly, you could pick any Saturday to surprise your kids with a trip to the zoo and they probably wouldn't complain. For the most for most of the types of moments in this book, moments of elevation and connection and pride, almost any time is a good time. 
the more you can multiply them, the better. The point we're emphasizing here is that certain circumstances demand attention. And particularly in organizations, these circumstances tend to go unnoticed, as with the neglected first day experience. Here are some other examples of potential moments in organizations that cry out to be shaped. Transitions. Promotions. Getting promoted feels good naturally, of course. It's a classic moment of pride, but it can also be a tough transition for some managers. Many people are thrust into their first manager managerial assignments without any training on giving feedback and motivating teams. What's needed is a managerial rite of passage that combines celebration of the honor with, let's say, a week's worth of shattering and counseling by an experienced senior manager. The first day of school. Michael Reimer, the principal of Roosevelt Middle School in San Francisco, wanted to help sixth graders make the transition from elementary school to junior high. He created a two-day orientation program that reviewed core math and science concepts, and more importantly, made the students comfortable navigating the school building and their more complex academic schedule. He even set up locker races, which spurred students to get faster at opening their their combination lockers, an unfamiliar technology for most. He said that two days later, when the seventh and eighth graders showed up, the sixth graders felt like they owned the school. End of projects. In most organizations, the end of a project is commemorated by the immediate start of a new one, but it's useful to provide closure. For inspiration, consider that Steve Jobs once held a mock funeral on stage for the death of Mac Operating System 9, also known as Mac OS 9. And he said, Mac OS 9 was a friend to us all. He worked tirelessly on our behalf, always hosting our applications, never refusing command, always at our beck and call except occasionally when he forgot who he was and restarted. It was silly, but a meaningful landmark in time. Some examples of milestones are retirement. When a person retires after a long career, the moment is a hybrid of transition and a milestone. And for some also a pit due to a loss of purpose or fulfillment. Yet, retirement celebrations tend toward the mundane, a sheet cake in a conference room with some hastily convened co-workers. The moment deserves so much more. In one business, retiring partners are offered, or sorry, retiring partners are honored at the group's annual meeting. A colleague takes the stage and tells the story of the retiree's life and career. At the end, all of the partners toast to the retiree, 
who then had the chance to address the group. It's like a winning hybrid of a wedding toast and a eulogy. Unheralded achievements. We celebrate employees' tenure with organizations, but what about their accomplishments? Isn't a salesman's $10 millionth dollar of revenue earned worth commemorating? Or what about a talented manager who has had 10 direct reports promoted? And some examples of pits. Dealing with negative feedback. Your organization may offer 360 reviews to managers. If so, what happens if someone gets a lousy report? Are you ready with an action plan to help them escape the resulting pit? Or loss of loved ones? Employees will lose loved ones, and when they do, they deserve, they deserve support. Shouldn't organizations be ready with a plan for these unpredictable moments? Imagine if a team could be assembled quickly to provide for time off, a seamless delegation of urgent tasks and personal support, meals, childcare, errands, etc. as needed. Life and work are full of moments that are ripe for investment. In the pages ahead, we'll learn of about the art of planning them.